I wanted to listen to more about Ben's toe. He said the cat scratched his toe. Ah, the pussy cat's gonna scratch me. As long as it's not his camel toe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would hope not. Hey, one never knows. Well, I don't think he would have one of them because uh, he was younger. Caught him with something else. So. Well, you know what? Don't put your uh, your gendered stereotypes on him. That's no longer an acceptable. Uh, oh, thing. shut the fuck up! Oh. Fuck. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Oh! Missed you guys! <laughs> no, you didn't. And this clever repartee. Oh, I had too much Taco Bell on the way home. Oh. Shouldn't have had five items. Three would have been sufficient. I feel like the dog in the cartoon. <laughs> I thought you were on a diet. Shut up. Seafood diet. No, I'm just saying, I thought you, you were on a diet. You tapping your f***ing watch. You can go f*** off, too. <laughs> i doing training all day. In, in, uh, Army training, sir! Five out of my eight hours is training. Core training. And it's not the Marine Corps. It's how to do it's basically how to be a I would what the hell is it core what does that stand for again contracting officer's representative so basically I'll be the foot soldier for the contracting officer doing all the minion paperwork and shit I got I still got six more days of this shit oh, the horror shaved my head by the end of this gain 60 pounds because I'm just sitting all day. Somebody's like gonna sit. Marlon Brando. How's everything else? Oh, that's fun. That's good. <laughs> Got some good comics the other day with Scott. None of which I've cataloged or done anything with. I just brought them in the box and. What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? I got a bunch of comics in the box. Yeah, we got. I, I thought we did really good. I, I, I mean, I know I did well. I, oh, I plugged I spent, a lot of holes. Spent more than I should have, but I mean, I got some really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it. I know you're like, oh, that's pricey. Well, I mean, it might be, but all the other stuff you could get there is well worth going there. I mean, that's why that. Oh yeah. He's got, he's got so much stuff. I don't even want to go anywhere else because. Was this Yancey? No, are you kidding me? Yancey never have prices that that good. All they'll have is like a, a shitty dollar boxes that are all out of goddamn order with no bags and boards. I mean, 
like nine, I'd say what, 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 what do you think about 80%, 85% of his stuff, Scott is, is a dollar a piece. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, and, and yet he was charging like $10 each for those Spider-Man issues. He's got, well, yeah, but it was like, buy, get one free. He always, you know, so was Scott there with you. Yes. And yeah. did you show him those Spider-Man issues? I didn't show him those particular ones, but there was other things he had up there. And like, because I'm would suspecting come with he would have said those were too pricey. Don't buy them for that price. I don't know. It, yeah, it, now it, we'll never know because you didn't show them to him. It depends on stopped. which numbers, but I mean, I, I looked at the spider in the high two hundreds. Yeah, that, that's pricey. Was, I think those. I sent you the numbers in the text. Yeah, let me let me see what it says in the text. I said, yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that a lot of that stuff with Spider-Man, like the from 200 to 300, I'm of the opinion that that stuff is way overpriced because I got rid of my, I purged my Spider-Man collection not long ago, and the only Spider-Man, and now I'm talking just amazing, um, the only amazing Spider-Man I kept was um, anything where he had the black suit prior to 300. Um, I think it was like 279, you know, big, 280, big and 281, something like that. Yeah, 10 bucks, 10 bucks each for those is too much. But it yeah, was 20. It, no, it, it is. was 20, 20 for three of them, so it was $6.66 each. I still think that's too much. Those books should be like two, $2 to $3 each. Well, I'd tell you, you know, my, my point of telling this story was that when I sold my those Spider-Mans, I thought I would get a, a fortune out of them. And a lot of them I practically gave away because they just, I mean, they, they weren't fetching. So you look on like eBay or on the on the wall in a lot of comic shops, and that shit is way overpriced compared to what it'll actually fetch, you know, if you just put it up to, to let it sell on its own. So I'd be happy if it would fetch a pail of water. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, to, to me, that's two, two to $3 books. Those are, and so you're talking like double that with the discount. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean his his pricing on on some stuff is a little, you know, like on that stuff was a little bit strange. I, I thought there was some other stuff I'm trying to remember what it was. I thought was a little strange, but for the most part, I mean, you know, really good deals on stuff. Batman, that's what it was. A lot of the Batman I thought was a little overpriced as well, but I mean, he's got to make his money somewhere and those those are, you know, popular and hot commodities right now. But what I like about that place, though, is that he's not – I mean, he has an idea what's popular. He has an idea what people are looking for. But at the same rate, he's not one of these people – at least he doesn't strike me as one of those people that's, like, got his finger on the pulse of, like, what just became a hot book, you know, yesterday type of thing. So you can still get really good deals. You can you can find some bargains in there because more and more of the comic shops are, are doing that. I don't know what – what measure they're using to do that, but I'm noticing that it's, it, you know, um, a lot of places it's called I desperation. Go, well, no, but I, I mean, you know, knowing like exactly what just got hot, you know, and and beating the collectors to it, you know, so that you you know you race to the comic shop thinking, oh, you know, all of a sudden this book is red hot. Let me go and scarf up all the copies, and they're already gone because you know they've already gotten wise to it or whatever. That's so that's because they're well. Never mind. I guess I'm just being a conspiracy nut. That's because they're the ones that generate the hype, and then they suck them all up and charge people more. 
Why right. the fuck is is the first appearance of Lobo so goddamn expensive? I don't. Why I've never it? understood that one because, for one, you know, full confession, I've always thought Lobo kind of sucked, to be honest with you. But I've really never understood any of the prices, even even at the height of his popularity in the in the eighties and nineties. I never understood why his early appearances in like Omega Man number three, why was that so high? Because it's not even the same character because he, he looks like a circus clown or something. He's got like yeah. a pink leotard for Christ's sake. He, he's, he's got like a pink and purple leotard. He's got like a, don't put your gender things on him. Oh, <laughs> but like Yancey street had it for like $75 up on the wall. I'm like, are you kidding? Oh yeah, man, that's a hot book. That's what that goes for. Now this is the new. I think that is what it goes for. Actually, well, okay. I don't. I don't agree with it, but I think that's what it goes for. At uh, so I asked the guy at at Urban Legend. He's like, I I was like, what would you charge for um, the first appearance of Lobo? He's like, about forty dollars. I'm like, well, that's thirty five dollars better than my LCS. that's, That's still overpriced, but it's a lot better. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm torn because it's great when I find out that, you know, some book, you know, just because it's the first appearance of some character is going for a ton of money. I, You know, if I have it in my collection and I can spare it, I love when that sort of thing happens because, hey, it's, you know, it's easy money. But well, I don't on think- the flip side of it, it makes me nuts when it's something that I need to fill a hole in my collection. Like, I, I give you a perfect example right now. I lack two issues to complete my run of Tomb of Dracula, and they're 10 and 13. And number 10 is the first appearance of Blade, and then number 13 is, oh, I don't know, Jesus. it's like second appearance or first appearance of another character or something like that. That book, okay. number 10, just because it's the first Blade, goes for, I mean, upwards of $1,000 I've seen it go what? for. I mean, but at least 100 bucks. You can't touch it for under 100 bucks. I'm not paying that price. I, I'd pay, I'd pay maybe ten or maybe twenty at the most for that book. And this is what makes me nuts: is when there's a, a, a really hot book because of a first appearance, but you know it, it's not that great. Like perfect example, I think the the poster child for for what I'm gonna say is Hulk 181. I've owned Hulk 181. It's a shitty comic. It's a standard run-of-the-mill, piss-poor art issue and stupid, dopey story issue of the Hulk from the 70s. Like, you know, like every issue that preceded it for 12 issues and every issue after it for 12 issues, you know, at least. It was just a standard run-of-the-mill, boilerplate, dumbass Hulk story, but it goes for buku bucks because it's supposedly the first appearance of Wolverine. Who gives a shit? But that's why it's so expensive. And, you know, there's a part of me that wishes that these things were priced according more to merit than just because it's somebody's first appearance or, you know, some supposedly important key thing happens in the issue. But that'll never happen. You know, they'll never get they'll never get priced according to merit or. You know, uh, whether it's a good book, it'll always it'll always be this ridiculous speculator crap. But, yeah, that's fine. Well, you got to the store before me, um, so he might have already had the discussion with you. Did he show you that he had like a 
he had a set of um, Black Panther books, and like the second one in, he didn't realize it was the first appearance of Shuri. Oh or no! Her, her as the female, which he's like, oh yeah, that's like a hundred and eighty dollar book, and I'm like, what? It's not even that old, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I almost let. I didn't realize it was in here, and then I, you know, then I found it. So I mean, yeah, he's not really one hundred up on like what's the biggest hottest thing but that's okay that's okay but yeah since uh i told scott and he got to see it this time like the guys ex- he's doubled the size of his store yeah it's I nice mean, it was it was basically i mean it was there was a lot in there before <sighs> now there's way more um and it's all cordoned off in the little rooms in the um you know it's like it was like two little offices that, and then they just knocked a wall down in between the two. It's a, uh, it's in like a strip mall or like a, like an office park or something. It's weird. It's right next to the, uh, still next to the, to the massage parlor. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, God, we were there. You know, I, I was there longer than I was at work on Saturday. <laughs> I, I told my boss that I said, yeah, I was only here for like I don't know three hours, and she's like. Really? You put down three and a half hours of overtime. I was like, I was here for three and a half hours. I said, if you don't trust me, go look at the cameras. Because I was. I was there for that long. So, uh, but we we were at the comic book store, I think, by the time I got there. And by the time we left, I think at least four and a half, five hours. Yeah, we were there That's a long, a long time. time. And, then yeah. and then I just got, I was getting like way too hungry. And I was just like, ah, ah. I'm overwhelmed. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I can't take it. My back was cute. You were hangry, Bill, by the end. I was. I was like, Rah. we missed yeah, you, Paul. Like yeah, would have liked to have been down there. It would be a haul, haul if you came down here and you were up at Spring Hill. But I think you would. I think you'd enjoy the trip. I uh, disappointed that I haven't been able to get down there this year. You know, with the whole COVID thing. All right, so who's bringing us in? Hello, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Dr. Bill, and with me is the producer, Paul Spataro. Hello. And next to him, standing in silent majesty and aloofness, Scott Horatio Garth. <laughs> It's not Horatio. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to be here. <laughs> Scott, hornblower, gardener. I'm going with I'm going with Umberto. Scott Umberto, Umberto gardener. Uh, you know, as as lousy an artist as I am, I could probably draw better than that other Umberto in comics. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> Scott Hercules. Gardner, new. All right, I'm running out of H. I'm, I'm just gonna. Keep, I'm gonna just relate this to to today's uh, show. And can you draw better than uh, Tom uh, Grinberg? We're we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, we're we gonna are have definitely some gonna talk about. That. Yep, we're gonna have some speech because I was totally taken aback by what Scott told me, and I then I went and looked at. But but we'll save that when we get to the book. We have other than. Uh, yep. Well, I guess we have some comic news. Scott and I went on a hunt last weekend, picked up some books. 
picked up uh, yeah. I picked up a lot of books, like a hundred and hundred and something comics. And like and like I told Professor Allen, I got a hundred and five books for only a hundred and one dollars. Therefore each book was less than one dollar. There you go. And he approved. <laughs> yeah, it was that was fun. That was I'm really glad that you uh you invited me over for that because drug uh, you out kicking and screaming. I called you up. It did. It got me out of the house and uh, went over to, uh, where is that, Brandon? Brandon, Florida? Brandon. I was like, look, look hey, I'm going to be working three hours at least at work, and I plan on going to the comic book store, whether you come over or not, but I really think you should come over. <laughs> well, the and only plan I, I had for that day prior was uh, Sam De La Rosa was doing some sort of event. I say here in town, but it was it was a, a short distance from me, and I was gonna go to that, but I wasn't really sure what it was because it wasn't at a comic store. It was it was some really was oh like, I didn't realize that yeah it was like a children's uh, not like a children's hospital, but it was like some children's thing or it was weird and and I, I wanted to go and check it out and everything um that so I kind of had had that tentatively planned, but. I don't know. I, I I don't know that I would have ended up going to it anyway. But then when you called and you're like, hey, you know, they're they're you know the guy's open and you know, come on over. I'm gonna go. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I've been to that place, and I I really like that shop. The guy's got a really good selection. His prices are very reasonable and everything. And I've been uh, been itching to just go to do some bin diving, and it was a good day. I mean, I can't believe how much time we spent there because we were there for long time and i i think i went through pretty much every bin in the place at one time or another and what's funny is later on after i got home and i'm going through my list and crossing stuff off and updating you know all my stuff i, I realized that there was still more stuff there that he had that you know it was one of those things where like ah you know i should have bought that i know i saw that there type of thing so you know there's there you know there's always stuff to go back for now so oh he's got tons of things that i'm looking for be, that i'm just I just don't have the money to buy right now. It's just like, right. nope, well, it'll be there for a dollar. Well, I like it because, you know, he's... He, Most of it for a dollar. You know, several tiers. You know, everything from from high-end books that are reasonably priced all the way down to, you know, 25 centers. And uh, I got some really good stuff out of the 25-cent bin, too. So, you know, it was everything in between. But... uh I don't have any of my books here in front of me, so I can't really. There's nothing I can brag about at the moment, you know, from from memory. But I know that at least one of the 25 centers I bought was a real score, but now I can't remember what it was, so I, I can't brag about it too much. But uh, yeah, you know, I actually completed several collections I've been working on, and that's that's been my big goal this year is to try to plug holes and and you know fill collection, you know, complete collections that I've been working on for a long time. I was able to fill up a couple um, holes and things too. And uh, I told you about, um, because you, when I walked in, you were going through the dollar boxes and I guess yeah. you can go through them faster than I can because I have to stop and pull out my app and scan it and go, wait, do I have this? Do I not have this? And then I got to go book to book. And then it was, I guess like this, at least the second hour I was there. And I'd only moved like six feet because I went from around from one side of the dollar boxes because there was about 12 boxes over there to the other side. And I was just sitting there on a stool and I'm going through and I'm going through. And well, all of a sudden, I'll tell you, what, I, 
what I do that makes it a little bit fat. At least this is what works for me. I don't know. Cause I've tried to do it both ways and, and doing it the way you're talking about where, you know, you pull something out and you're like, Ooh, do I need this? Do I have this? Whatever. And then you look it up that takes forever. So what I do is I, I'm going through and if something catches my attention, I go ahead and I pull it out and I make well, a that's great what I started stack, to do. Then I or- that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I started to do. I was like, I would just pull it out and go, yeah, let me get like five or six books and then I'll check them. Well, let me finish this box. Then I'll check what was in the box. What what did I pull out of the box? That's probably the smartest way to do it because I I know that in the past, at least a couple of different times at shops I've been at, I can tell that I was getting the stink eye from, you know, somebody running the place, you know, manager or owner or whatever, where I would pull out like a long box full of comics, you know, and then, you know, they're salivating going, ooh, you know, cha-ching. And then I'll go through and weed it down to like three books, you know, because it's like I pull all this stuff out because it's like, ooh, shiny, you know. But then I look it up and it's like I don't need it. All right. I already have it or whatever. And I right back in the box. Mm -hmm. So I know that's got to annoy them, you know, but that's, you know, I'll I'll put in the time if it means, you know, saving money and and getting a good deal. You know, I'll 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 stand there and go through boxes all day long. But uh, one of the things that I've been looking for that was one of the last Avengers books that I had on my list of Avengers books to find. And I haven't been able to locate this one anywhere was, uh, uh, Luke cage, uh, um, like an Avengers one shot and origin story. And, and when I found it, I looked at it, my eyes got wide. I pulled it out of the box and I dropped it down and I looked at it and then I started to giggle, but I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it out loud because I just sat there and went. (laughs) And the guy that runs the shop kind of like stopped and looked at me. And I was like, I've been looking for this. It's like, like a comics. His his finger was was creeping under the counter to the panic button. Just in case. Yeah, I found that. I found the last, um, uh, I think, volume four of Batman and the Outsiders or the Outsiders, which this book he didn't have in the regular section of Batman and the Outsiders. It's never been over there. And I find it in the in the treasury box, the dollar box that he throws random shit in. I found uh, I found the last two issues I needed of the Remember when it went to. It started out as Batman and the Outsiders, and then it went to that prestige format where it was just the Outsiders. Yeah. I found the last two issues I needed to complete that run, so I was pretty happy with that. And I only need just a couple more for the the first series of Batman and the Outsiders. And there are a couple, I think they're both non-apparel issues, so it's one of those where I gotta I got to find them on the like, extreme cheap. Because I, I want them just to fill the holes, but... You know, I, I'm trying to remember who the artist is on those particular issues, and it's it's somebody I really don't like. So those those are going to be like, you know, 25 to 50 cent fines, you know, if I ever get them at all, because I'm not I'm not paying anything for those. But the yeah. the two that I found were uh, they were both both Apero issues. One of them was was one with Geoforce on the cover. And I always liked Geoforce. I always thought he was a cool character. I have no idea whatever happened to that character if he's still around or still alive or whatever. But I always liked uh... that. A lot. Every character but, uh, is still around, yeah, Scott. I, I remember Geo right. the Brave. Was he in the Brave New World just before they did? 
Infinite Crisis or came back from that? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Maybe sure. I don't. I don't remember that eighty-page special where spoiler yeah, know, Blue Beetle yeah, gets shot. I know what you're talking. Yeah, I think I still have a copy of that, but I, I don't remember anything other than the Blue Beetle stuff in that. Yeah. That's when my my interest in DC was waning fast at that point. Was that when he? I remember reading somewhere he buried himself. Yeah, but if they want, they bring back every character whenever they feel like it. So nobody's gone. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. That is very true. Well, I guess that's enough comic talk per se. Uh, unless we've got anything else we want to cover with comic talk. I just wanted to throw out a thanks real quick. One of our listeners, uh, one, of, one of our faithful listeners, as I'm led to believe, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, and uh, I don't know Smith. if he wants this revealed or not, but I, I, from what I understand, it's it's not his actual name anyway. It's an alias, but I won't reveal his real Topo name. Topo Gigio. But he goes by uh, Herschel. I'm going to assume it's Mimas, M-I-M-A-S on Facebook and in, in our Facebook group and everything. This episode's probably going to hit way later than, than you know when we're recording it, I'm assuming. But uh, I, I want to make sure to throw him out uh, a really good thank you because uh, I needed some cheering up recently, and he knew it. And he got a hold of me, and uh, it was something to the effect of, you know, hey, I know we don't know each other very well and everything, but if you're comfortable, you know, giving me your address, I, you know, I'd like to send you a little care package and, you know, it's one of those things where you're always a little leery, but at the same rate, it was like, well, you know, it sounds like somebody wants to, you know, do something nice or whatever. So I was like, yeah, sure. And I gave him my address and kind of forgot about it, to be honest with you. And a couple of days later, this huge box arrives. And typically, you know, when somebody comes to the door delivering a pack, I'm the one that answered the door. But in this case, my wife got to the door before I did. She comes in, she's got this huge box. Now I'm assuming it's from uh, like my comic shop or someplace where I've you know, I've ordered something big, you know, when she said it was for me, and bring it in, set it on the counter, and then I realize that it's from Herschel, and I'm like, holy cow! All right, well, what what could this be? And I open it up, and it was just it was truly a care package. It was it was a huge stack of comics, really nice stuff, and what the guy had done was at some point somewhere I had posted my my want list, probably up in our in our swap group, and he had just gone down the list and selected a whole bunch of books off my want list and sent them to me. That's awesome. I can't tell you how moved I was by that gesture. I thought it was really nice. And I mean these you know, there were some really nice books in there. Um some early Star Wars that I I just you know, I had them, but I was looking to upgrade, you know, copies that I had, you know, to better copies and everything. Um, some early actions. I'm trying to remember. I, again, I don't have them sitting here in front of me, and my memory's crap. But I mean, some really well, I, good. I gotta say, you, 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 I'm sure they're not early actions. <laughs> Old for us. <laughs> in my, in my want, you know, they were, you know, fit, uh, 60s. You know, like yeah, like early 1960s. 60s. Not. <laughs> No, I, I know what you're saying, but uh, I mean, I was really touched because there, there was, you know, a lot of really good stuff in there. And uh, and, you know, I'm sure that he could have he could have fetched a pretty penny for a number of the books that were in that st- in that pile. So I really appreciated that, you know, he, he just sent them to me as a, as a little care package. It was a really nice gesture. And I, I just wanted to publicly say uh, thank you very much. It it brightened my day when I needed it most. So I really appreciate that. Well, that is awesome. When when. 
listeners, you know, appreciate what we do enough to, you know, to send something. And I'm not saying this. I, I really just don't want to say anything like, oh, you should send me stuff. I'm not, <laughs> I am not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, when it's happened, it, it just there is a feeling I get of, wow, I am, you know, I'm doing something for people who appreciate it. And that makes me feel good. That's it's that right. simple. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I wanted to brag just a little bit just because I feel like I earned it. Um, Thank you, listeners. I have been chasing something forever in a freaking day that I really got at this point was starting to think, well, it's just it's never going to happen. And it finally happened. Um, I love promo posters and I collect comic book promo posters. Now, promo posters, for anybody that don't know, it's the posters that comic shops get. Um, to advertise, you know, a, a, a new book coming out or a series or something like that. And uh, I don't know why, but I've always really liked promo posters. I think it's just because, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I didn't have a comic shop around me. Comic shops, at least in our area, were, were you know, they were unheard of, really. Um, and I remember going in, into my very first comic shop in the mid to late 80s for the, you know, for the very first time and seeing, you know, not only, you know, here's a comic book store, you know, just full of comic books. But I remember seeing promo posters and being struck by promo posters and thinking, oh, that's so cool. You know, it's this great big poster advertising, you know, whatever. And so I began to collect them and they used to be a at least, you know, in the areas where I lived, they used to be a lot easier to collect because a lot of comic shops uh, didn't see any value in them. You know, they'd, they'd have them up for a time, and then you know, when they would take them down, they would either throw them away or they would charge, you know, a minimal price. You know, they might be like a table full of them, you know, like promo posters for like a buck or five bucks or something like that. So they were they were easy to collect. They were, you know, easy to find. Uh, but there were certain ones I always wanted that I never got my hands on. And, and one of them that I've always wanted was uh, the Thor, the Simonson Thor promo poster. It's, it's basically the cover of Thor 337, the Beta Ray Bill cover, um, as a promo poster. And a few years ago, I got the other Simonson Thor promo poster, which is the Thor frog one, where Thor had been turned into a frog. That one is pretty rare, and it was rare at the time that I bought it, but now that that thing has skyrocketed, and the price is crazy expensive on it, so I happen to buy it at like just the right time. But about the time that the price skyrocketed on that one, the one on 337 skyrocketed as well, and I, I honestly thought I'd never own it, I, you know, but I've, I've kept a watch on it. Uh, you know, just in the hopes that I might chance across one. And every once in a while, one would pop up on eBay. And every time it would pop up, it was ridiculously expensive. Well, I had one pop up the other day, and it was cheap. And it was, uh, it wasn't a buy it now. It was a, it was an auction. But it was an auction where you could make an offer on it. So I sent the guy. I'll be honest, it was, it was a pretty crap offer. But it was about what I'd be willing to pay for it. And I thought, this guy's going to laugh. I'll probably never hear back from him. And within like an hour, he accepted the offer on it. I was like, holy crap, this person must have no idea what this thing is or what it's worth or whatever. 
So he went ahead, you know, he, he took the money and uh, he sent it to me. And I was sweating the whole time thinking, you know, it's going to get here. It's going to be mangled or, you know, there's something wrong with it or whatever. Uh, and it got here and, you know, except for tiny pinholes where it had been hung at some point, it's like pristine. It's beautiful and I can't wait to get the thing uh, framed and up on my wall because I've been chasing this sucker for a long, long time. But yeah, I, I just I love promo posters and that that's one of my holy grails. So uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to finally have that. Thing, but. So that's uh, that's my uh, comic news for for this week. I got no new comic news. I'm sorry I can't add to the conversation. Unfortunately. Oh. Sorry, well, I, I know you'll to... appreciate this, Paul. I, you know, I, you know me and uh, and my my lack of love for Namor. So it shocks me that I would ever actively seek out or or spend any real money on it. But I know what issues. you're seeking out. You're seeking out the defenders issues. Yep. You know, you're not you're not fooling anyone. <laughs> I finally completed. Uh, both I got both uh, issue 34 and 35 of Submariner, the the pre Defenders issues. So knock those out. I, I now have all of the the pre Defenders, you know, like the lead up to the Defenders issues, with the exception of those first three Marvel features. I have the three Marvel features. I don't have. I don't think I have the uh, Doctor Strange issues. Yeah, that that I have. Yeah, Submariner. I got those. I'm I'm actually missing number 35. I'm missing. I'm only missing two two issues of that entire series. Oh wow! Number nine and number thirty-five. Those are the two I'm missing. What's what's on the cover of number nine? Uh, number nine. I feel like uh. Number nine. Yeah, number, nine? Like the Beatles. Uh, number nine. Number nine has. It has uh. What's it? The, the submariner's oh, kind of laying on a table, red background, yeah. and then uh, you know some uh. Some chick is waving a uh, like a wand. Is that the is that the serpent crown she's wearing? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, I don't think is I've that ever a serpent seen crown. You wearing? Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> I was thinking of number. I was thinking number eight. I think I do have a number eight where it's the thing and Submariner facing off each with each other. I do. I I had one. I don't know if I still have it, but I had one of that. But yeah, yeah I, I have that one. I have just a couple random issues of Submariner, but though the 34 and 35 I actively sought out just because I, I wanted to be a Defenders completist. So, the, but yeah, that Marvel feature number one is that one's that one's going to be. I'm sure that's niche. pricey. Like, at this point, yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I, it it pops up regularly enough, but I, it just it's one of those things where. You know me, I'm I'm cheap and I don't I don't want to pay a lot for it, so it's it's got to hit that sweet spot. I'm I'm willing to go like twenty bucks tops on that, you know. But even for that, you know, it's I, tough I to see... find at that price. Yeah, but I, you know, uh, every... it's funny because I you know when I'm in the store and I find books that I like, if if she's with me, uh, she's like, well, you like it, buy it. It's like, no, look at the price. It's not worth that. Do you know what I mean? She, she doesn't understand that, you know, I'm looking for bargains. Whatever. Still. Still, she's a keeper. Oh, she is. She's telling you that, because that's not the story I get. <laughs> <laughs> I get, you don't need that. <laughs> that's what I get. What was it? What, Which is probably what, right. I, I don't, but. What was it your wife said? Oh, this will get you out of the house? Great. Go. Go spend the day with Bill. Bye-bye. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's one good thing with the with this lockdown and everything is you know I I can now get away a little easier with with stuff like that because she's like okay I've had too much togetherness get get out of the house you're gonna be gone for the day great go <laughs> so it it wasn't uh I mean she must have known I was gonna go and spend money but you know there was there was no fight so I like that well are we covering some books. We should cover some books. We got three, and we haven't even started yet. Bill, you have the uh, Marvel. Yes, I do. Oh, I just, just as it were. Down, <laughs> we're just choking down a pretzel, a soft pretzel. I, I asked Ben to make me a, some soft pretzels while he was perusing through the through the kitchen. I was like, "Yeah, can you put me some mustard on there?" And he's like, "Okay, I'll put some ketchup on there." And I was like, "Don't make me come in there and beat you." <laughs> we have this ongoing thing about ketchup. And you guys will probably argue with me. What are we arguing about? Paul will. About what goes on a hot dog. To me, mustard and cheese. Okay. I could do mustard. I could do cheese. I could even do chili. You don't put ketchup on a flipping hot dog. No, I do not put put ketchup on a hot dog. Why would I argue with you with that? That's that's, that's one of the basic laws of life. Oh, thank goodness. How about you, Gardner? What say you? It depends on my mood. I mean, oh, I, just I, get off I, my show. I prefer <laughs> I prefer mustard. I prefer spicy brown mustard on a hot dog, but uh, sometimes I'll put ketchup on it. it. It just depends on my mood. And so, like, if you're in a masochistic mood, then then, <laughs> then you put ketchup on it. <laughs> you're an animal. Oh, one last thing before I get into my book. Got to tell them about that wonderful service we had at uh, Wendy's. Oh God. Hey, I offered to take anywhere. That was awful. And we went to Wendy's, and we stood there. We stood there. And we stood a little longer. And then we started tapping the displays in front of us, thinking maybe we had to order our food. And none of the displays worked. They were all dead. And we're still standing there. And then finally, the girl came over, took, took my order, I wanted two small fries and two spicy, crispy chicken sandwiches. Which, by the way, those were not spicy. Just want to say, but I'm lucky I got anything at all, right? Because Scott leans over and says, "Hey, you want to might want to check your order." And I, and I lean around and I look, and I was like, "What?" And like, uh, I didn't order two home style chicken sandwiches for like four dollars a piece. I wanted the one twenty nine chicken sandwich. And she's like, "Oh, okay, uh, okay." So she had to get the the manager over and the manager took her time getting there and corrected it and, and then she like yells at it back hold off on those homestyle chickens <laughs> and she's like too late they're already made and she's like well you better unmake them and I'm like great here comes some extra saliva in my food some unmade <laughs> like, sandwiches mm-hmm. So finally they got that woman, that woman that said that in the back, boy, she gave you the stink eye too. It wasn't my fault. I mean, yeah, exactly. Not, it was not your fault at all that the, and I don't really even blame the poor girl that was ringing up because I don't know if like she's just new, but she's wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask. We're talking through plexiglass. You know, it was amazing. We could hear each other at all. So, but uh, I mean, once we got past that, the food was all right, but it just took, it was really, they were more concerned with the drive through than they, it's like they've given up on people walking in and ordering and all they do is drive through now. It's like, that's their concern. 
I, I told you before, you know, it, it's I'm sure it's just a side effect of, of having been, you know, a trainer in in customer service, you know, for most of my professional life in one aspect or another. But I have lost the ability to have any patience or tolerance with shitty customer service because it just annoys the hell out of me. And two things that really annoy the shit out of me when I go anywhere and, and, and get any sort of, you know, lousy customer service is if they prioritize the drive through over the, the main line. Like you've, you've made the time to park your vehicle, get out, come in the store, and then they're tr- acting like the, the drive through is more important. That annoys me. And then the one that really makes me nuts is when you go into any store, I don't care what it is, you know, the grocery store, clothing store, anything, is if they treat the person that's on the phone more important, they're more important than you are. And I, I don't know how many times that has happened to me lately in the past few years where I'm I'm standing at your register or your counter or whatever, cash in hand, ready to make a purchase and then you put the finger up and make me wait while you talk to somebody on the phone who's sitting around in their underwear, eating Cheetos, watching Oprah, couldn't be bothered to get off their ass and come in. You're you're prioritizing them over me who's actually standing in front of you. That shit makes me nuts. And I used to always train my people when I was in you know retail training to never do that that idiot on the phone is not as important as the one that's standing in front of you who made the time to come into your business but that seems to be just a lost art now because everywhere i go it's it's always the same thing they they may want to make you wait that that makes me crazy and if i'm ever in a line somewhere and and they do that i'll I'll stand there you know and i'll wait for them before you know I'll, i'll do anything I make them get off the phone before I'll go forward with it. And I, I've had that happen a couple of times, too, where they're trying to check me out, and they're on the phone. And then they, they're kind of giving you, like, the circle with their finger, like, yeah, you can go ahead. And, and I'm like, no, I'm going to stand right here until your stupid ass gets off the phone because I want to make a point of how rude you're being by making me wait. You can't even engage me in conversation while you're on the phone. Oh, it makes me nuts. It makes me absolutely crazy. How did we get off on this subject? <laughs> oh, I brought it up. <clears throat> I brought That's it up. That's because Bill doesn't want to do this book. I'm getting that feeling. Yeah. No, I, I want to do this I book. I really want to do my book, so we we need to get into this because I've been itching. Okay, to get... all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We've got to give him more time. Do do your 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 horrible art book, your your uh, silver your cellulite surfer on the cover. Oh, all right. My book today, The Secret Defenders, Doctor Strange, War Machine, Silver Surfer, and Thunderstrike, Revenge Part 1, Secret Defenders Volume 1, Number 9, published November 1993, cover artist Tom Grindberg, cover drawer, drawer, I'm not using the word artist for this, writer is Ron Mars, penciler is again Tom Grindberg, inker, Don Hudson, colorist John Caligula. I want to get to my book. Letterer John Costanza. Editor Mike Rockwitz. 
And the editor-in-chief is Tom DeFalco. So since you guys are really snippy about me doing my book, basically, Silver Surfer goes to visit Doctor Strange in the Sanctus Phantom. Surfer says, I can't handle Nebula. I need people who can handle her. She's never met. Hold on, hold on. The fattest Silver Surfer says. No, no, we'll get to that. We'll, We'll get to that. Well, everybody's a little beefy in here. So he says, I got just the thing. Surfer turns and says, look, I don't need Iron Man and Thor. No, no, that's Thunderstrike and War Machine. And they'll go help you. Here, let me get you on your way. And they're off to Titan, where they fight Nebula, who, through machinations, knocks out Silver Surfer, straps it to a bomb. Her henchmen go to fight Thunderstrike and War Machine, say, you know, I'm going to blow up Titan and the Silver Surfer all at the same time. And these guys that are going to fight you have no nerve endings, uh, bye that's it. That's the book. In I hated it. Oh, stop it. No, I seriously you know hated this. I hated I, it. I opened up the first page and I opened and then I got to the second page. And I got to the third page. And I and there was the third page I kind of was like, hmm. And then when I got to the, the next page when I had the full page of Silver Surfer, I was kind of like, oof. And then it got a little better because it was flashbacks and things were dark. And then, but then, the first shot of like War Machine and Thunderstrike—they're just low, like low-legged Thunderstrike. Low, yeah, just huge. And then once they got out of the Sanctum Centorum, uh, man, the art just like really nosedived. I don't know what happened at all. <laughs> nosedived. I was just—it couldn't like, have fallen I, too far. <laughs> I was. I pick. I physically had this. Have this book. And I picked it up. And I didn't really look at the cover that well, because going back to the cover, yeah, well, I guess I glossed over the cover, because you got Silver Surfer let himself go. I don't know what he's been eating. A lot of cottage cheese, maybe, or something. I don't know. And, I mean, Thunderstrike isn't bad, but War Machine is, like, really weird looking, too, back there. I don't know what's happening. I mean, it's a very stylistic cover. And the art inside, I really like the first couple pages. And that, and then I stopped oh, yeah. reading it, and I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna do this book because I think this, first, you know, these first two pages are awesome. <laughs> and then it was like a week's time, and I got back to the book, and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Holy crap! And then when I talked to Scott, I was even more stupefied when he tells me he's like, oh yeah, that's Tom uh, Grindberg who did. Um, uh, Batman Bride of the Demon, and I was like, no. Yeah, no, just, you know what, do a Google search, Tom Greinberg, and do the image search. He's got talent. He just didn't put it on display in this book at all. Unless I'm his really unless glad. his inker really killed him. No, well, here here's the thing. I'm, I'm glad we're getting into this. I'm glad you said what you said, Paul, because I, I've been sitting here with kind of gritted teeth. Now, I want to say, I want to make it plain right out of the gate. I do not like the art in this book. I have a history with this issue. And I was trying to remember when Bill and I were talking about this before, I was trying to remember exactly what it was. And, and I, I think I, I think I was wrong in what I told him. I told him I was buying the book at that point. And then I got to that issue and I was like, Oh, this is terrible. And I dropped the book. That's, that's inaccurate. What it was. And I was trying to remember it was because Thunderstrike was in this. Now laugh if you like, but, I was a big Thunderstrike. I am still a big Thunderstrike fan. I actually liked that character a whole lot. And I was collecting his appearances. Now, you got to remember, this is 93, this is pre-internet. So 
this was at a time when, for a very brief time, I really had my finger on the pulse of what was going on in comics and the way that I would keep up with appearances of characters that I wanted to track or creators that I wanted to track was by going through the solicits, you know, previews or whatever I was getting at the time. So I knew this issue was coming out and it had Thunderstrike in it. So it was on my pull list and I was looking forward to it and I knew it had Thunderstrike. And then when I saw Tom Grinberg's name attached to it, I was really excited because I remembered Grinberg from a couple of prior uh, things that he had done. Most notably, what I told Bill was the Batman. Is it Bride of the Demon or is it Son of the Demon? That Bride of did? the Demon. Bride of the Demon, which I was really taken with when he put that book out. And I, I'd seen him on other things before that, but that was the book that really stuck with me. It's like that that put Grindberg on my radar was that that Batman graphic novel that he did. It's it's great. It's beautiful. And it's very, very Neil Adams. Yeah, it's like done. At and the so I, Neil really Adams. And I, I thought it was Neil Adams for a second. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people do. And. So I was really excited when this issue was coming out and then I got it. And my first reaction is still my reaction today, looking at it, which is what the hell happened? Here's my theory, because I spent some time uh, this week going through Grindberg's history on Mike's Amazing World and looking at both projects prior to this book, contemporary with this book, and then after this book. And... I think what's going on with this, I, I could be dead wrong. I, I could not find any confirmation of this, but this is my theory is that I think Grindberg is an incredible mimic. Um, he's not a swiper. I mean, there are a lot of artists out there but, that swipe and we've talked about that before. I don't think he's a swiper, but I think much like say John Bogdanov, I think he, he has a really incredible ability to mimic other artists because the bulk of his work that I'm taken with, he really looks like Neil Adams. If you hunt up an image of the cover of X factor annual number two, look at that. And on, on a quick glimpse, you would swear it's Neil Adams, but it's not, it's Tom Grinberg. And that's most of his art looks very Neil Adams. What I suspect is going on here was that, at the same time he was doing this short stint on Secret Defenders, he was also working on Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Now, not oh. long after this, uh, or excuse me, not long prior to this, rather, um, what's his name? Mignola had made a big splash, and he had done Cosmic Odyssey for DC. I'm thinking that whether it was mandated or whether it was Grindberg was in a in a brief, like enamored with Mignola phase or something. I think he's trying to do Mignola here. I think he's doing a riff on Mignola and full confession. I know I'm going to get beat up with this, but I got to be honest. I think Mignola sucks. I've always thought he sucked. I think he has terrible anatomy. I think he's a really shitty artist. I, I don't think he should be working in mainstream comics. And so that's what I think is going on here because I look at this and I can see the, the Grindberg in it, and I can see he still has chops. He hasn't completely lost it, but it's just the figures are so weird. They're like elongated and fat ass and super beefy and 
something's really screwy. And this, if you look at stuff he did, again, both prior and especially look at stuff he did after this, this is not his regular style. He he didn't stick with this. So, yeah, I, I think this is some like weird experimental phase or something. Or, or like I say, maybe he was mandated, hey, make it look like Mignola if you can, because he's really hot right now. And so I think this is his riff on Mignola. But, I mean, that that's to just try to explain, you know, try to say that he's not a shit artist at all. I mean, the guy's got real chops. I just don't I, I can't explain this. It's not good. I'm not trying to defend this issue's art because it's not good. But I'm def- I want to defend the artist because I think he is a really good artist. So. See, now, I'm, I'm going to support your theory because I, I think you, uh, you're right. I look at this and, and I see it as an effort to mimic Mignola's style. And I'm not an expert on Mignola. I'm not going to try and claim to be. Uh, but I think his style fits certain things. Uh, way back in the past, we covered a book. I think, actually, I had two guests on and you guys were not on. Uh, but we covered a Hellboy issue. And quite frankly, I thought the art was terrific. Uh, because it really conveyed a mood, it told a story well, it was that Mignola style, but I thought it really fit the book that we were covering. This seems to to mimic the overall appearance, but with none of the subtleties or uh, you know or, or just anything that I that I liked in that Mignola book. Uh, I also think you know again it it goes to the type of book too. You know, a, a Hellboy book is a cult and, you know, m- mystical things. And, yeah, you have Doctor Strange in this. It's mystical. But this is a cosmic story. This isn't a mystical story. Cosmic, right. to me, should be more slick. It shouldn't be dark and, and gothic. So, so first right. of all, it, it's, it's a bad, st- bad stylistic choice for this type of story. And then on top of that, the anatomy in this is just freaking horrible. It's just, it, you know, I, 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 it was a real slog to read through this. And the story is not bad, but it was a slog to read yeah. through it because the art is so bad. It, it just, you know, I hated this book because of it. And again, the story isn't that bad. But, you know, you know, we've talked in the past, you know, Scott, you're like an art first guy. When you look at a book, you know, if the art is bad, you usually can't get through it. I'm right. probably more 50-50. I'm, you know, I, I, I probably value story as much as art so that, I'm able to read some books that I think the art isn't that great, but I can get through it and I can still enjoy it. But this one, the scales tipped so much on the bad side with the art that it it, it took the pleasure out of reading the story for me. I, I can I can totally see that because, uh, you know, full confession, I actually really liked the story in this. And I liked it to a point where I was like, I wonder if I ever actually read it. I mean, like I said, I know I have a his- uh, history with the issue. I remember buying it, and I remember being just a, really put off by the art and just so disappointed. I'm wondering if I was disappointed to a point where I never even read it because I totally didn't remember any of this. Um, I actually liked it because, I, you know, for one, it's got Nebula, and she's very MCU in this. Everything else I've ever read with Nebula was before this point, so I, d- I didn't remember her being you know, this version of Nebula, you know, so close to how she was per- portrayed in the, in the, you know, Marvel cinematic universe movies. Well, did you not so, follow her when she was in the silver surfer? 
No, I, I didn't follow Silver Surfer. Oh, yeah, because that's where she first pops up like this, if I remember correctly. Right. It's actually referenced in here and saying, you know, he's like, well, I caught up with Nebula and she's changed her appearance. And so right. uh, that was like issue 70. Like he actually they actually footnoted here somewhere. Yeah. Now, I was familiar with her from a couple of appearances and I think like Avengers where she looked very different. And then, of course, I remembered her in uh, in Infinity War where she looked different, too, but or Infinity Gauntlet, I should say. Oh, yeah. So, it's in the flashback page where he's talking about Silver Surfer yeah. in five where she was in a kind of catonic state. And then now she's changed her appearance in Silver Surfer 67 to 74. Silver Surfer Volume 3 is one of those ones where, you know, it's one of those one of those days projects for me. I, I pick up issues here and again when I find them really, really cheap. I don't have many of them, but it, it's one of those ones where, you know, when I can see one of these days I'm going to get serious about that. And either I'm either going to try to collect it all or I'm, I'm going to just sit down and read it all. But one way or the other, I'd like to. It, it's it's long been on my radar. I've just not never made the time for it. You know what I mean? I don't know. This this issue to me is such a mixed bag because, you know, like I said, I'm very disappointed in the art just because I do really like this guy. And I, and I there is a lot of this issue that I see the old Tom Grinberg that I really like or, you know, the, the proper Tom Grinberg, I should say, because one of the things that really fascinated me is I, I did briefly wonder if it's the inker. I don't think so, because I actually found other projects past this point that both Grindberg penciled and Hudson inked. Now, I'm not familiar with Don Hudson at all. I don't recognize the name. I, I, I couldn't tell you what his style is. But there's other projects they did together after this that look damn good. There's an issue. I want to see it's Spider-Man 2099-25, I want to say. There's a backup story in there by this art team that looks damn good. So, yeah, I, I, I like I say, I really think that this was some experiment gone wrong or something, but thank God he didn't stick with his style because he still draws. I, I follow him on Facebook. He, he does commissions now and he did a Batman commission not long ago. That was just gorgeous. None of this. I mean, none of this weird elongated torso, none of this fat ass bow legged weirdness, none of this pinhead stuff. I mean, it was, it was like Epic Batman. So yeah, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, everybody makes a mistake now and again, I guess. I don't I don't know. I'd be very curious to see what he thinks of of this. If is is this something he's proud of? Is this something he would, you know, if you brought it up to him, he'd be like, oh, God, you know, I, I, I wish I'd never done that. I, I would be really curious how he himself feels about this, because, yeah, the, the anatomy is just it's not only is it not pretty, but it's just bizarre there's uh, there's no page numbers on this but in the scan that we're looking at it's page 16 that first panel of the silver surfer where he's saying waiting for me he looks he looks like he's got like a boulder on his back or something he's all he's quasimodo yeah he's like yeah he's like he's made out of ice or rock or something he's just, and you know the silver surfer to me is live yes yeah, sleek yeah. he's like a runner you know he's got like a runner's body he's very he's not muscle bound he's he's very slim and sleek and and you know slender looking and yeah so well like i said in this he's the cellulite surfer yeah look at him on the yeah, cover he's definitely 
I mean, the only one of, of these three characters, you know, once we leave Doctor Strange, because he doesn't really do anything but just get the team together. Well, that, he's kind of bulked out and yeah, you know, like he's yeah, got he is. magical roid rage. Thunderstrike, it, it almost fits his character, almost. Oh, but please. then, like, look at, look at the full page spread with the two of them. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Well, he's, he's got his, a pinhead. His, I mean, it's terrible. His his knee is bigger than his head. <laughs> yeah. And he's got these tiny little feet. How did he? Do, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Harvey Corman. How did he do such spectacular stunts with such tiny little feet? <laughs> and Rhodey looks. I mean, he he looks. He looks to me like a kid with a full diaper is what he looks like. <laughs> Oh, this is terrible. It, it really is not good, and and I I, I hate saying this because I really dig this artist, but yeah, this this is not pretty. It's not his best stuff. I I do I very distinctly remember buying this issue because it was just shortly after I had moved to Georgia, and I'd found this little mom and pop place that let me create a pull list, and I, I this is one of the first things I bought from that place. I, I distinctly remember it, and I remember opening this and just being <laughs> horrified by the art and <laughs> i don't back i don't think i bought the second part of the story because it was it's, it's a two-part story it was you know issue nine and ten tells the the whole to- story and i don't think i bought the next issue just because i was so put off by the art which makes me think i probably didn't read the story because i i, I like the story enough to get past the R and be curious what happens in the next issue now. But evidently I wasn't then because I'm pretty sure I did not buy the next issue. Well, like the third page from the end where the surfer's strapped to the bomb and Nebula's standing there. She's got like her foot on a rock or something. And she's just got the way it's drawn. She's like twisting her body in some weird. I mean, it looks it's just weird looking. Yeah, that's I mean, not natural. Now, granted, she's a cyborg or whatever, but still, I mean, in order to make that position right there, I be, think you'd have she's to. She's supposed to be very nimble and 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 thin and right. And she's got some hips on her right there. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, in order to make that pose, I think you'd have to have taken a bad fall down the stairs or be hit <laughs> by a car or something. Yeah, because her her back. I mean, you're. Can you really you you can't turn your torso like that? I guess you can, but if you're a supermodel, but and then the silver surfer in the background, I mean, are, it's almost like we're seeing his junk. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't. So know. yeah, I I was kind of let down by the art after I got a couple of pages in. It was like, oh my god, especially when I kept comparing it back to Bride of the Demon, going. This can't be the same person. This can't yeah, be the same artist. Yeah. And like I say, he he had good. It's not like he just lost it. Like this became his style. I mean, he he did bounce back because he's got projects past this point that are that are really good. You know, really good looking stuff. He has a a, a real Neil Adams. You could be great again, style. Tom Greenberg. <laughs> just in a slump. You'll be great again. So yeah, I I don't know and. You know, while I consider this something of a of a miss, you know, one off misfire, um, you know, his work on um, 
on uh, Warlock in the Infinity Watch, unfortunately, looks looks a lot the same. But it was re- it was in the same time frame, so I, it must have just been a, a, a brief flirtation with a different style or something. Is, is all I can think of because it, it didn't stick. Thank God. <laughs> Well, the story, like I said, the story was entertaining, but I did have to struggle to read it because because the artwork didn't bring me through at all. For the most part, I felt like almost I was reading the, the words and then just, like, averting my eyes. Right. Which is not not the way you're supposed to read comic books. They all can't be, you know, Wolverine 181. I mean, uh... Yeah, but you know what? You, you mentioned earlier Hulk 181. That may not be the special story in your mind that's worth, you know, the, the big bucks that the story goes for, and it only goes for that because of the introduction of Wolverine, but it was still a readable, you know, run-of-the-mill comic book, if you want to look at it that way. This, right. this you know, this this was not. <laughs> this, you know, this, this was a struggle to read, and it wasn't a struggle to read because it's so complicated that, it you know, you, you have to stop to understand it and it wasn't a struggle to read because the artwork was so complex that you needed to take time to marvel at it to understand what they were showing it it, it took time to read because the the artwork was just hideous (laughs) and and it 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 did not add anything to the reading process all right well let's let's move on and uh, i'm gonna rate the cover you know if the cover maybe was drawn by the earlier grindberg Maybe it would. I would give it a higher rating, but uh, I mean, I did pull this out of the bin and buy it. It was out of a dollar bin. Pro- Professor Allen would smack your face. <laughs> Roll it up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And you pay tax, you you fool. Uh, I'm going to give it a. I mean, I do like the pose. I'm going to give it a D. I'm going to give it a D for the cover. I'm going to give it. I mean, I really like the first couple pages, so I'm not going to give it a straight-up F on the art. I'm going to give it a D. And the story, um, it's interesting that they're choosing different heroes that Nebula can't predict. Because I guess suddenly she became a master strategist along the way. Okay. All right. That's a thing. So we'll give the story a B. So that's like still like a D+. plus. Low, 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 low C minus. So that's where I'm at. What say you? I'm not crazy about the cover. The cover is, uh, you know, it's an omen of uh, <laughs> of what's inside <laughs> the book. Um, I like the cover slightly more than I like the interior art, but that's not saying much. Um, I'm going to go... I'll be generous. I'll go a C minus on the cover, although it, it probably doesn't deserve even to be that high. The interior art, there are very few instances that I like in here. There's a couple. Um, the moment where there's not a bunch of shit in the background and uh, Doctor Strange and the Silver Surfer are just simply talking. Artistically, that's not too bad. But there's not a lot of that. Most of it is there's way too much crap jammed into the background of everything. And then the the anatomy is just bizarre. There's a couple pages later where it's the page where the Silver Surfer is introduced to his team. 
you see Thunderstrike and War Machine standing there in shadow. Their backs are to us. Look at how the Silver Surfer is standing. Why would you ever stand that way? If you're just talking. I think he's to, playing jacks. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre, you know? And then the, that splash page is just unforgivable. It's it's all kinds of screwed up anatomy-wise. It, it can't even be blamed on, like, perspective or anything. It's not. It's just piss-poor anatomy. It, it's I, I, I really don't know what's going on with this. There's a couple other instances where I, I think it's okay, but overall it's just bizarre, it's freakish, and it was it's really off-putting. Uh, to a point, as I say, I don't think I, I read this initially when I when I bought it way back in what year was this ninety three or whatever, which is a shame. So art wise, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go a D on the R. I really I think it's that bad, unfortunately, uh, which just kills me for an artist that I like this much. The reason it's such a shame though is that story wise, I really liked this. I think it's actually a good story, and it's a damn shame you've got to slog through this shitty art. You know, if you if you want to enjoy the story, because I think the story is actually worth it. I was intrigued by this. and I like uh, several beats of it. For one, I really like the Silver Surfer just kind of coming over to Strange's house. He just kind of drops in like a buddy would. I like that. And I like how Stephen is he's very human in this moment where he just says, hey, you know, you're you're an old friend and you're welcome to come over anytime. I really like that. It's It's a very simple human interaction between two weird cosmic characters and i thought it's those little human moments that i really like it's kind of like star trek i like those sorts of things it it grounds the story and it's it was also kind of a callback to the fact of you know these are you know founding defenders and i kind of like that too because this is you know a defender's book so i I liked all of that and then i liked the little history lesson from the silver surfer because it was a lot of stuff i didn't really know it was getting me up to speed on the character and then i liked why he was coming to strange which was i need you to recommend me some people that she's never faced so she doesn't know what she's going up against and he you know so strange pulls in Thunderstrike and War Machine, which are kind of like Thor and Iron Man, but just different enough that, you know, they're they're going to throw her a curveball. I like that. Really, my only quibble with the story, honestly, is that all of that said, as cool as I think this is, and I like this team, and I, I like what's going on, and I like Nebula and everything, I think Rhodey and Thunderstrike are just slightly out of character. Not horribly, but just slightly because Thunderstrike seems like he's playing too much the rookie because he he'd been around for a while by this point. He was new to the Thunderstrike identity, but he'd been Thor. And then Rhodey, I don't know, it, it seems to me like he'd be a little more annoyed than he was to to he's he's kind of dismissed. I can't find it in the dialogue here at the moment. I failed to make a note, but he's He's kind of dissed at one point as just being, oh, he's Iron Man light or something to that effect. And he just kind of rolls with it like, yeah, I don't care. As long as you know, I'm out there doing my job, I, I don't really care what people think. But I don't really think he had that hang up anymore. Being, well, well, huh? maybe he doesn't. I mean, but because I, I, you know, because I thought he came to grips with being Iron Man at one time and then Tony kind of took it back. Right. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It it just it struck me as a little bit odd. I mean, it, it seems like 
everybody, you know, if, if you're, you know, out there doing the hero thing or whatever, you know, everybody wants to be acknowledged. Uh, here it is. It's in the dialogue here. It, it's on that. It's on that terrible splash page. This is how Doctor Strange introduces them. He says, Norn Rad, this is Thunderstrike and War Machine. Almost nobody recognizes them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're just okay with this. Neither one of them is like, geez, man, you know, or anything like that. You know, Rhodey just says howdy, and then Thunderstrike kind of stutters through a through an introduction. So it, it just struck me as odd that yeah, you know, that's kind of a rude way to, to introduce these people. And neither one of them really takes any objection to it. Like, yeah, we're nobodies. That's it's cool. So I don't know. That just that seemed a little weird, not a character to me. But overall, uh, story wise, I, I kind of dug it, actually. So uh, story wise, I'm going to say I'll, I'll give it an A for a story because I was intrigued and I, I'm interested to see where it goes, despite the art. So that that says a lot for me because I am an art first guy. Uh, and then overall grade for this, it's really tough because I really like the story and I really dislike the art. So I'm going to go middle of the road C, but I'm going to knock it down again because of the art. So I'm going to say a C minus overall uh, for the book, which is being extremely generous art wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the cover... It looks to me like it's not a bad layout, but the final product is not good. Right. Uh, it also looks to me like they're crossing the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard, which is not, you know, what they're doing. So it's kind of a little deceptive in that respect, as far as I'm concerned. Because mm-hmm. if I saw this on the stand, that's what I would actually think they were doing. Uh, so because the layout itself isn't bad, I'm going to pump it up to a D because <laughs> I want to give it an F. Uh, the interior art, I, I I think you can count the number of books that I've given the art an F on one hand probably. And I'm giving this an F because I just think this is oh. appalling. I, I, I really do. And I do think, and I said it right at the beginning, I think he's a talented artist. I just think this was a failure on his part to use that talent in a way that would be appealing. Now it may have been fun for him because he's doing, you know, different things than what he normally does. Uh, and you know, uh, I'm happy for him that he had fun, but his book is still an F as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the story, the story is entertaining. I have no problem with the story. The problem is that the artwork made it a slog to read the story. Uh, but I don't want to, I can't put that against the writer. So I'm going to give the story a B, but, Overall, this book is getting a, a, a D plus based on the story. Fair enough. Who was the the writer on this? Ron Mars. Ron Mars. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like Ron Mars. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? It's, it says something for his writing that to me that it came through the story. Uh, that you know, reading the story, you could still tell it was a, a well written one. Right. Also, the, just by the way, on the coloring on the cover, it almost looks to me like Thunderstrike has got like a metal plate on his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does. And, and I'm going to say, Bill, uh, I'm glad you brought a book that I didn't like because, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I know some of the listeners only like when we when we talk about books that we like, but to me, I like to have the variety. 
And, you know, being such a Marvel guy all the time, I feel like it, it gives me a certain level of integrity to be able to say that I don't like stuff because I don't want to be one of those podcasts where everything is great. Right. Right. I, I don't, you know, I, I, they, those have a place too, but that's not what we do. Right. I'm not going to even criticize the people who do that. But I, I think, you know, we're giving honest opinions on these books, so sometimes the book just isn't going to be good. I'm glad I could lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We haven't gotten to mine yet. Oh, boy. Well, you know. Let's see if we have time. If, 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 if every book was a love fest, you know, how boring would the show be? So, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it goes to like that, exp- that expression that I vary on so often. If every book is great, then none are. Right. Yeah. Because, because you know, the, to be great, it has to stand out among the rest. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next book, which maybe has greatness on it. (laughs) All right. For our next book, we are jumping over to DC Comics for a book I've long wanted to talk about on this show. We are looking at Swamp Thing number one, cover date of October slash November 1972. It was actually on sale on the stands, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on August 10th, 1972. Hard to believe it's that old already, creeping up on 50 years old. Cover price on this is a mere 20 cents. Features a stunning, iconic cover by Bernie Wrightson. Uh, It features the swamp thing rising up out of the swamp and uh, and menacing a man who looks terrified, holding a pistol and uh, keeping a one. Is that a Basil Fawlty? I don't know who that is. Who's Basil? John John Cleese from Faulty Towers. Oh, from Faulty Towers. Towers. Yeah, he kind of looks like that. That's funny. Um, I I think this is a great cover, although it does commit the cardinal sin of comic book covers where the hero's back is to us. Uh, It's still a a great image. I love it. It's very simple. There's no dialogue uh, other than, you know, above the word Swamp Thing, you know, the logo Swamp Thing. It just says, first startling issue. But it it doesn't have a bunch of dumb cover copy you know swamp thing's not saying you know now i swamp thing will blah 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 or whatever you know or the guy's going no don't not you or something it's just it's silent but it says so i mean the the image says so much it's just i i love the cover on this okay so the story is called dark genesis it is written genesis <laughs> written by Len Wein. You've been waiting to do that all day, haven't you? <laughs> written by Len Wein, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. Now, illustrated in this case means he wrote it, or excuse me, he drew it rather, he inked it, and he colored it. And it is edited by Joe Orlando. So just simple uh, credits on this one. We open to deep, dark, spooky bayou country. Len Wein's flowery exposition and Bernie Wrightson's moody artwork both expertly set the tone of the story right out of the gate. Amongst the purple bog, the screaming herons, the croaking bullfrogs, the ever-lurking alligators, the Swamp Thing waits. Waits for them. Those that killed him. They will return, and he'll be waiting. While the silent creature waits, he reflects. Back to brighter shinier times when government agent Lieutenant Matt Cable drove a young research couple, Dr. Alec Holland and his wife Linda, out to this remote spot and set them up in a secret laboratory to continue their work on Holland's biorestorative formula. 
We learn that this research is of great value to the government, any government, and that it is Cable's job to protect the Hollands and keep their work out of the hands of other prospective quote-unquote shoppers. The husband and wife team go right to work and we get glimpses and hints of what the project is and how it could be used to create gardens out of deserts. Shortly, they are paid a visit by a slimy little man by the name of Ferret and his two creepy associates. Ferret offers to purchase the formula with a blank check and makes no bones about threatening Holland to accept. Holland, perhaps emboldened by Cable's promise of protection, tells Ferret the formula isn't for sale. Ferret calls on his hulking henchman Bruno to lean on the good doctor, but he never gets the chance as Ferret's other man spots a vehicle approaching in the three skedaddle. Cable arrives and a shaken Holland tells him what went on. Cable's kind of a dick about the whole thing, telling the Hollands flat out that they are just simple commodities as far as he and his bosses are concerned, and then he leaves, warning them not to answer the door again without knowing who is behind it. Still shaken, the Hollands go back to work, but this time Alec keeps a rifle handy just in case. Sometime later, there is another visitor, this time a mangy dog that Linda takes a liking to and convinces her husband, who wants nothing to do with the mutt, to take him in. And we learn that the dog is actually wearing a wire that an unknown party has planted on him and is now able to listen in on the Hollands. A report of this is sent to Mr. E., who is pleased and issues orders for Ferret to try one last time with the Hollands, but if they won't play ball, they and their formula must be destroyed. Is Mr. E petting a monkey? Yes, he has a, he, he has a pet monkey. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking about that a little bit later, because believe it or not, that monkey plays an important role. <laughs> okay. Sometime later, Ferret and his groons again pay a visit to Dr. Holland. Alec isn't screwing around and brandishes his rifle, intent on turning Ferret and his men over to the authorities. Bruno, however, gets the drop on the dock and conks him unconscious. The trio rig up a little surprise for him and then split. Eventually, a groggy Holland comes around, and as he lifts himself off the floor, he spots something strapped to the underside of his lab table, a ticking something. Holland reaches out, desperate to defuse it, before but he never gets the chance. The world explodes white hot in his face and a screaming, burning, horrified Alec Holland runs blindly, desperately out into the cool night air and plunges into the soothing water of the ever-present bog and disappears soundlessly beneath its bubbling surface. At Holland's burial, Linda berates herself for not being there, where she actually was is never explained, but Cable says that if she had been there, she'd likely have been killed too. Lamenting the death of her husband, she allows Cable to return her to the lab. But in the bog, something stirs. It starts as a slight disturbance below the surface, then a bubbling, and then slowly, a misshapen hand claws its way free of the grasping mire. And then finally, a creature, huge, green, covered with roots and moss, emerges. A muck-encrusted, shambling mockery of a man. The Swamp Thing lives. Confused, muddled in its thoughts, the Swamp Thing starts to put the pieces together. The explosion, the chemicals, the biorestorative formula, somehow, some way, combined with the fetid swamp, has turned the scientists into what? Linda. He must see Linda. She'll know what to do. She'll help. 
but when the creature approaches the lab and catches sight of himself in a window pane, he can only cry out in anguish. Inside, Cable hears the noise and opens the door to investigate. The Swamp Thing, horrified by his appearance and not wanting his wife to see him like this, hides instead, knowing, fearing, that the men that did this, the men that killed him, will be back. But he'll be waiting for them. The Mutt, meantime, takes advantage of the open door and bolts out into the night. Cable goes after the dog and is amped with a shovel to the head, leaving Linda alone in the lab with Ferret. Swamp Thing, meantime, answers the howls and desperate barks of Linda's dog stuck and sinking in the mire. As he pulls the hound free, a gunshot sounds and the monster shambles his way to the lab where he finds his wife, Linda, dead on the floor. Enraged, knowing that if he had just returned to the lab instead of going after that dog, the man-monster smashes out of the lab and into the path of Ferret's oncoming car. They spot him and gun the accelerator, intent on running the thing down, but the creature that was once Dr. Alec Holland has had enough. He brings his fist down on the hood of the speeding oncoming car and smashes it to a halt, turning Ferret into a windshield cannon in the process. Swamp Thing seizes Bruno, and I think it's pretty clear, judging by Wine's uh, narrative, that he kills him outright. Ferret, injured and lying in the grass outside the wreck, pulls his pistol and pumps round after round into the creature, drawing its unwanted attention. The Swamp Thing steadily advances on Ferret, hate burning in its murderous red eyes. It is unclear, however, if Alex succeeds in ending Ferret, although I think he does, and he's actually uh, nicked by a bullet fired from Cable. The lieutenant tries to arrest the creature, but sad-faced, the swamp thing simply turns and shambles off into the swamp. Elsewhere, miles away, in a tower at the top of the world, a gnarled hand points at the monster's image in a crystal ball and orders his freakish minions to fetch him. Next issue, The Man Who Wanted Forever. What did you guys think of Swamp Thing number one? Well, it is the polar opposite of, <laughs> of Secret Defenders number nine. What? It's got a good story? No, you know what? It's not. It's not because it has a good story. If it was the polar opposite, it would be a beautiful art <laughs> and a shitty story. So so it is not. Because this, this is actually beautiful art and I've a good story. I've never read this before, but I see a lot and... Because I first saw the Swamp Thing movie, which I like the Swamp Thing movie, and I could you see a lot of things that were taken and used in the movie from this book. The henchman Bruno, isn't that the one guy that gets turned into like a that arcane uses the formula on and he turns, yep. he goes from this big hulking guy to a little tiny. Yep. Yeah. So like that's that's yep. Bruno. I don't know about Ferret, but Cable, that was well Adrian Barbeau's character. Yeah, uh, the, the biggest change off the top of my head from this to the movie was that Cable becomes Adrian Barbeau, and she's a love interest for Alex slash the, the monster. Yeah, because, because isn't his sister? Linda, his sister yeah, it's changed lab. with his sister. Yeah, instead yeah. of his wife, she's his but sister. Him, sister. Yeah. And that was Ray Wise that was in the movie, right? The Yes, I mean, yes, before yes. he becomes the beast, because it's what, Dick right, something? Yep. Durlock? Something like Dur that, yeah. Durbin, something like that. No, yeah. that's a, Dick Durbin's a, isn't he a political guy? Isn't he yeah. like a, 
a set. I, of, I used to know the name. I've forgotten, yeah. but it's it's Dick something. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, I think he's the same guy that Dick Hurts. <laughs> I think he's the same guy that played the uh, the other Hulk on uh, on the Incredible Hulk TV show, if I remember right. Uh, I don't know about that. Hmm, maybe. I think so. I thought that was Ted Cassidy. Exactly. But yeah, with the whole bomb and him catching fire and running out, diving into the swamp. It's Durock. There's no L. I was Durock. thinking it's Durlock. It's Durock. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. yeah, he was the other. Yeah, he was the other Hulk. Not not oh, okay. not like the Hulk before Lou Ferrigno. I know what you're thinking. I'm I'm talking in the one where he where the Hulk fought another Hulk, like an earlier Hulk. Yeah, that was that was Dick Durock. Oh, okay. But yeah, uh, Dick Durock played Swamp Thing in both the Swamp Thing and Return of the Swamp, which is a terrible movie. The the sequel was awful. But the first, the first one I rather like. It did have Heather Locklear in it, so can't be entirely bad. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember when the movie was. Uh, I I have uh, I have really fond feelings for this issue. I have fond memories of this issue. Um, I always struggle to remember exactly when I discovered Swamp Thing, but I'm pretty sure it was from. There's a one of those big oversized like treasury size books that DC put out. There's one that's called like, it's like Batman strangest cases or something like that. And in there they reprint swamp thing number seven, where swamp thing and the dog from this issue come to Gotham city and run afoul of Batman. And I think that was probably my first swamp, you know, introduction to swamp thing. And I was just kind of fascinated with the character and everything. And then when I was uh, in my early teens, we moved from Carthage, uh, where I lived in New York, to this this little town where we lived, you know, for a number of years. My parents bought this house and everything. And our next door neighbors had a couple of sons that were much older than I was. And the oldest boy had gone off. I don't know. He went to college or, or moved out or something. And his younger brother wasn't really into comics. And so he sold me a bunch of his older brother's comics. There's now I think about it. I wonder how the older brother felt about that later. I didn't never thought about that at the time, but he sold me a bunch of his comics that he wasn't interested in himself. And some of the ones he sold me were swamp things, including a number one. So I was really lucky to luck, luck into a swamp thing. Number one back then, because that that's kind of a pricey book now. And so I slowly acquired uh, a collection of just about all the issues. Um, I never had them all. I still to this day don't have them all. I lack like two issues. But I had all the stories from all the different reprintings they've done over the years of, of all the issues and everything. So I, I had the complete narrative and and just fell in love with the character. And I remember, you know, following him in the in between years, like between, you know, discovering his series which had already ended and then hoping that, you know, maybe he'd come back and get another series one day, but he, he bounced around in a number of titles like Brave and the Bold. He was in, uh, I think he was in an issue of Super Friends. He was in uh, DC Comics Presents and the Challengers of the Unknown and all these, you know, little background appearances. So I, I continue to like follow the narrative and then right about the time that the movie was coming out, he actually got his own book again because I think it's the second issue of Saga the Swamp Thing has a, a photo cover that's from the movie on it. 
and was just so excited by that. And I've actually like made my parents take me to the drive in just so I could go see the Swamp Thing movie, which I'm sure they had zero interest in. And, you know, I, I don't I can't remember now what my parents thought. I think my dad kind of dug it. My mother is probably bored to tears with it. But uh, but I loved it. I thought it was great. As cheesy as it is. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't know how it holds up now. But uh, I loved it at the time. And while I was uh, reading this issue the other night, you know, for the show, I was actually listening to the soundtrack, which which holds up really good. It's a really good soundtrack. So, yeah, I just, you know, I, I have really good fond memories uh, of this, you know, of this book, you know, both this specific issue, but, you know, the, the whole series is, as a complete thing. Although it's it's one of those things I've often wondered what in the world made them think. Now, this character, Swamp Thing, actually appeared prior to this in a slightly different version. So how this book came about was uh, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson did uh, – uh, an issue of uh, House of Secrets. Secrets, yeah, House of Secrets, number ninety-two. Uh, and in that story, they told a story that's almost this same story. It, it's slightly different. For this issue here, they they changed some things. They changed the name of the of the doctor. They changed the setting slightly. The monster looks a little bit different, but it's almost the same story. But it was just a one shot. You know, that was a you know, House of Secrets was a horror anthology book, like so many other horror anthology books. And this was just a one shot story. But somehow it just lit the world on fire and it, it just grew into this thing where they eventually decided to spin it out into a series. And I've always wondered what what the thought process was with this. And I don't know, maybe there's some interview out there or something you know, I'd be curious to find. But, uh, you know, just what the thought process was of what did they think it was all you know going to be or whatever. Because I remember the Ween and Wrightson issues proper are really good. It, it meanders a bit, but they're really good. They're really interesting. They're really dark and creepy. And then after that, the book just becomes kind of weird as it you know other writers and other artists come in and everything the the flavor of it really changed the the art really changed and everything and then ultimately the book only lasted 24 issues so you know i don't know if you if you'd really call that a, a raging success or not but you know at least the original 10 issues you know garnered a lot of attention and a lot of praise and, it, and it's one of those things where the characters stuck you know, in the popular, you know, comic book culture. And, you know, he's, he's still around today. I mean, Alan Moore would go on to do, you know, really great things with him or at least really interesting things. I've always been a little bit torn about some of the things that, uh, that Alan Moore did with the character. Like, you know, he fundamentally changed the concept of it being Alec Holland that, you know, both went into the swamp and then emerged from the swamp. He, he would change that, that whole history and that whole concept altogether during his run to where swamp thing was actually a, a completely different entity from Holland, which I'm never, I've never been sure exactly how I feel about that. I both like it and dislike it at the same time. But anyway, I've gone on long enough. I'm curious what you guys thought about this. Did you like it? That sucked. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, I could have easily seen it being a one-off, though. Uh, it, it was. It, I thought I um I love Bernie Wright's art. I, I really do. So that that right off the bat starts it off off on a good note, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, 
it, you know, it, it's moody, but it's very well drawn as far as I'm concerned. So, like I said, that's a huge plus. Uh, the story, you know, it, it's amazing how similar this is to, to the man thing. Do you remember, Bill, we did yeah. the first appearance of man thing? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, there's, there's so many similarities between the two. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know, you, you read it in a vacuum. I don't know who stole from who. Was it was Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, I guess, between the two. And if I remember the story correctly, they were roommates at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so one of them stole the idea from the other. I don't know who it was. I've often I've read that story a number of times, you know, from different people and different perspectives and everything. And I've often wondered. If well, you know, now Len Wein is is deceased, unfortunately. Both him and Wrightson are gone now. But I've often wondered if maybe they they pulled a fast one and have just managed to keep it a secret all these years that basically they came up with the same story and sold it, you know, between them to both DC and Marvel separately. So basically you had almost the same character, at least the very same concept at the same exact time. And it's just, you know, one of them decided, okay, I'm, I'm working for Marvel, so I'm going to sell this to Marvel, and you're working for DC, so you sell it to DC, and we'll just, we're cool, you know what I mean? And I, I, I think that's an interesting idea if that's what really happened, but I, I, I kind of tend to think there might be some validity to that just in the fact that, you know, there's never been an argument about it, there, that I'm aware of anyway, there's never been any contention, there's never been any serious debate to try to prove you know definitively once and for all that no this one was first or that one was first it's just everybody just kind of accepts that oh you know it was same concept at the same time you know that went to both companies type of thing so i i kind of like the idea that maybe they just pulled a fast one on dc and marvel i'm embarrassed to say i've never considered that as a possibility and now that you bring it up i'm thinking that's brilliant if that's what they did yeah you know, and it came in in an era when it was twenty cents for a comic. So even as a reader, if you picked up both of them, you could only feel so ripped off by it. It's not like you're paying six ninety nine twice and and getting the same story. It's one of those weird things for me where you know I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where. You, you had some preconception or some notion or something from when you were younger. And then later on, you, you find out that that's totally not true. That's totally not how it played out or how it was or, or, you know, factually, it's just wrong. But because you've believed it your whole life, you just you, you have a, a real struggle divorcing your mind from the concept. And that's me with with man thing. I've had a long-standing resentment of Man-Thing, and I really can't get into that character because I grew up believing that he was a ripoff of this character. And I know it's not true. I, you know, I sense know it. It, t- it took a long time before I, I read that and learned that somewhere that no, they actually they coexist. They came out exactly the same time. One is not necessarily older than the other, or a ripoff of the other one. Even knowing that with my logical brain, it's still hard for me to to embrace man thing in any sort of way. I still see him as the the inferior knockoff character of of Swamp Thing, and I'm not sure exactly why. 
Um, I just never got into that character. I, I, for one thing, I just, I don't think he's quite as interesting. He, he's got his own shtick and that's cool. He's, you know, he, he does different things and everything, but I don't know. There's something about Swamp Thing that I always liked better. I think for one thing, I like that Swamp Thing knows who he is. He, he remembers his past life. He, he, and for most, most of this first series, He's trying to find a way back to humanity, whereas Man-Thing, at least any Man-Thing stories I've ever been privy to, and I, and I haven't read a lot of them, I'll be honest, but any, any of those stories I've ever read, he was just kind of mindless, where he, he, was just, he was literally just a dumb monster that didn't even know he was ever a human being. Am I right? Well, they, they eventually gave, gave him sentience and, and ability to communicate. Oh, okay. But that's, that's a much more recent development. Okay, but but I mean, like classically in the seventies and eighties, he was just kind of a mindless thing, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he would he, just kind of wander around. The only thing about him was that he would be sense feelings. actually attra- attracted to fear. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and you know, he who knows fear burns at the touch of the man thing. That that was you know that that was his whole shtick. Right. Uh, but he was a mindless beast, and when. Like at least you know, and again, I was never a devotee of the character. I, I read more more of his things when he guest starred in other books as opposed to his own book. Right. Uh, but usually, it seemed like at the end of it, you know, in a Marvel team up or Marvel two and one, or you know, when he was in Daredevil, uh, at the end of whatever adventure, he would just kind of wander off and he would have no memory of the adventure he was just involved. Right. In. The only feeling, lasting memory, the only lasting burn with man things feeling. Whoa, 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 man! Oh, <laughs> the only uh, story or you know appearance of his that ever made any impression on me whatsoever was there was an issue of uh, I think it's two in one because I think it's the thing in Captain America, and I want to say it's a, oh the one with, with the with the cosmic cube yeah where he touched the cube and the cube turned his hand back to a human hand and he just kind of kind of looks at it like huh and then he wanders off and forgets about it like 5 minutes later that that i think that's the only man story man thing story that ever made any sort of impression on me whatsoever and i think it's i think that's a burn issue if i'm not mistaken so that's probably why it it kind of stuck with me yeah going back to this i i've, I've often tried to to kind of psychoanalyze myself with this issue. Like why did this make such an impression on me? Because this really isn't my thing. I, I'm not a horror guy. You know, I, I typically don't dig this sort of thing. And even, even Wrightson's art style isn't really my kind of art, but I love this. I, I think it's, I think the art's beautiful because it's, it's very haunting. It's just got a, a weird, creepy style to it yeah there's just there's something about this that just really clicks with me and i i think it's you know i'm a sucker for tragedies you know just just really like heartbreaking tragedy type stories and that's what this is it's just you know poor alec holland i mean his life goes completely to crap in this issue i mean you know the the bomb going on, and that's that's one of the things that's really always stuck with me with this particular issue is that page of the explosion, and then him running out and falling into the swamp or diving into the swamp, because that third panel 
of him running, you know, the man on fire and basically his face at that point is just a flaming skull. That's haunting to me because I look at that and I think at that point he's dead, whether he, whether he knows it or not, whether his brain has acknowledged it or not, he is now dead. So he's basically a a running flaming corpse falling into that swamp. And that's just, that's creepy, heavy stuff to a kid. And I think it's also that here it is 1972, an era that I still think of DC as very, still very silver agey, still very infantile in its storytelling, telling a very dark story. And the swamp thing, uh, while it may not necessarily come right out and say it in the narrative, I think it's pretty clear that he just outright murders Ferret and Bruno. Oh, yeah. I did notice, I don't think I've ever noticed it until this reading, but the other guy disappears from the story the third guy well maybe he was killed in the the car crash or in the explosion maybe either the explosion or the car crash yeah i guess that's possible but he just kind of disappears from the from the narrative so you never know if he if he gets his or not the guy that you were asking about with the monkey that's uh oh god what was the guy's name nathan ellery he turns out to be like the big bad behind this whole thing he becomes important later on in that batman story because somehow or other i forget how it all happens now but somehow or other swamp thing finds out about this guy and goes after him and he's operating out of gotham city and so swamp thing goes there to gotham city and toward the end of the story swamp thing confronts him in his penthouse and Ellery is backing away from Swamp Thing because he knows he wants to kill him. And he accidentally steps on his pet monkey. And when he steps on the monkey, the monkey bites him in the leg and he flails backwards and falls off the balcony to his death, which I always thought was pretty cool. So the monkey actually was a semi-important player in the in the whole narrative. But I, I it's been a long time since I reread this in full and I was kind of struck by so many of the things that I'd kind of forgotten about the story, like the dog, I'd forgotten that the dog became his companion for a time and traveled around with him and stuff. And I forgot, you know, that, uh, that Ellery and, uh, and the monkey were introduced right here in the first issue. Cause I always think of the swamp things, big bad being, uh, Anton Arcane. Now that's the, the clawed hand at the end of the issue saying, bring him to me. That's arcane, but we don't meet him until it's either next issue or the next issue beyond that. I forget, but he's, he's essentially the big bad for, uh, for swamp thing that would continue to keep coming back and haunting him and tormenting him. But that's pretty much all I got on this. I, I was pleasantly surprised that it really still holds up. I still think it's a gorgeous book and, uh, it's still it's I still find it heartbreaking. I think it's it's a really good story, but it's it's just so sad. You know, this poor guy that all this crap happens to him in a, in you know the in this one issue. He didn't deserve any of this. And then Cable, I didn't remember that Cable was such a dick, but he he really is. I always thought of Cable as kind of like you know the the hero that was trying to you know set things right and avenge the the death of the Hollands, but that's really not it at all. He's kind of an asshole to them, really. I don't know. Maybe later on he gets a heart or feels bad or something, but in this first issue, he's he's kind of a jerk. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You want to rate? You want to rate it? Yeah, I'll go ahead and rate it. Cover on this one, I'm gonna give the cover a straight up. I'm gonna say just an A, but I mean it is. I mean it really is an iconic cover. I mean this is one of the iconic covers of the '70s, in my opinion. So I, I think just on that level, I think it kind of deserves the A plus status. I, I think it's a, a fantastic cover, arguably the the best one of the series. So yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I'm gonna give it a straight up A plus. Interior art, I love. I think it's beautiful. I'm trying to think if I really have any any qualms or issues with it, and I really don't. I, I think everything works with it. I, I love, especially the outdoor stuff when it's storming. You know, when the when the swamp thing first emerges from the swamp, and then later with the confrontation with the bad guys. You know, it's storming the whole time. It's raining and uh, that sort of thing especially back during this time, had to be so hard to portray well in comics, but Wrightson really pulls it off. It's it's super moody and creepy and just, you know, you can feel the the slick sliminess of, of the creature, you know, through the art and, and the swamp itself. And it, it just, he really knows how to, how to evoke sensations, you know, the, the way things would, would feel and, you know, to the touch. And that's that's got to be a hard thing to do. But he, he does a, a really, really good job of it. Yeah, I really have no qualms with the art at all. I was, I was going to say something about that last image of, of Swamp Thing with kind of the, the dopey, sad face. But sad even, face. even that one works in a weird kind of way. It's it's weird looking. It's a little dopey looking. But it works for, for what he's trying to do here, which is show that he's resigned to this. Uh, he doesn't want to fight cable. He doesn't want to hurt cable, uh, you know, but there's nothing else for him to do at this point, but just to shamble off into the, into the swamp, what's left for him. And so on that level, I, I think that really does work. Uh, even, you know, despite the fact that it looks a little goofy. So art wise on this, I, I think, I think I'm going to go a straight up a, I would go a plus, but I, I, I have seen some other, art from from Wrightson that I, I like a touch more than this. Uh, I, I think he just gets more refined over time. I, I'm thinking like of like Creepshow, for example. I think it's just I, I think he was really at the top of his game with stuff like that. But this this is high up there. Uh, but he just gets better and better. There's there's other issues of Swamp Thing later on that I think uh, are even better than this. Again, that issue seven with Batman, I think that that is a straight up A+. So I'll just go A on the art here. And then story-wise, I think it's a it's a really good story. I think I'm going to go an overall A on the story as well. I really have very few qualms uh, with the story. I think it's well well laid out, well paced. I think it's become something of a, of a classic origin. I think the character's been around long enough and enough people know this story now that it's – it may not quite be – Superman or Batman yet, but it's getting there. It's it's getting to be on a level with something like Spider-Man, um, where it has that that kind of pathos, that kind of you know the the irony to it. You know, if he hadn't gone after the stupid dog, you know, but instead you know gone to his wife's side, maybe this wouldn't have happened to her type of thing. You know, that that guilt drives him, and I like that sort of thing. So. Overall, great up on this. I'm going to go a straight, you know, straight A. I think it's a fantastic book. I think it's a classic. Yeah, I think the cover is an A. Uh, the only thing to me that keeps it from being an A plus is no fault of Bernie Wrightson's whatsoever. The fact that DC, for whatever mandate it had, 
made them do the two-thirds cover picture, one-third title. And I, I just don't – I think it takes away from the overall image. If Just if that background that they have in this had extended above it and they eliminated that bluish-purple top, I think this would be an A+. So not, not Wrightson's fault, but it is what it is. Right. The, in, the interior art, uh, I agree with you. It's not his very best, but it's really, really good. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if I could distinguish it enough to take it out of the A category, so I'm going with an A on that as well. Uh, and the story, I, you know, the only thing I could take away from the story is that they did it in Man-Thing 2. Uh, but that's not, you know, that again, you're reading this in a vacuum, so it is what it is, and uh, I thought it was really, really good. So I'm going to also stick with you on the A on that. So I'm giving it A's across the board, just as you did. Cool. Hmm. FFF. <laughs> no. You can take two F's and flip one around, and you get an A. <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole rising from the swamp thing. Uh, I get it. See what I did there? Oh, I'm a dork. The whole coming out of the swamp on the cover—that's a nice. It's 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 really cool. I mean, you can see all the the water, whatever the gook stuck to them. It's pretty terrifying. I will give the cover a. I'll give it an A. The interior art, uh, which you know. You and I went to the Comic-Con where Bernie Wrightson was at, right? Didn't you go with me, Scott? Or did you not go to that one with me? Because he was sitting by himself. Like, he, all these other people were just, like, mobbing different artists. And he was just sitting, like, him and his wife. He was sitting at a table. Nobody was coming up. And I was, and that's when I bought the Batman Swamp Thing print from him. And I, I just wish I had, you know. I must not have been with you for that because I always wanted to meet him and I never did. So I... I, I it, was have at, it was soon after that I think he passed away, like another year or so. But that was the Tampa Bay Comic Con, and um, he was just kind of by himself. Like his wife was doing, handling the money. And I, I just wish I had talked to him or, or just, you know, uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Like if you were there, you could have drummed, you could have started up the discussion, and I would have probably jumped in. Oh, yeah. I tell you, if, I, if I'd ever gotten the chance to meet him, as much as I'd love to talk to him about Swamp Thing, I probably would have ended up talking to him about um, Cycle of the Werewolf, which I, I love. Mm. That. that was that was great. Yeah, I agree. So the interior art, I'm also going to give that an A. And I love how the, the story is, is, is new to me, but it's familiar because I've seen it in a different medium, portrayed a different way, but I can see enough of the of where they took the core ideas from and changed things. And right. I assume that would happen later in the book too. So I'm going to give the story an A as well. So it's A's across the board. Nice. All right. So now, uh, it's getting late and I'm getting uh, tired. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I, I think my book could be fun to talk about. So I don't want to give it the half-assed version. So I'm going to hold off until next time for my book. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we're getting too old to do three books. Getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I'm renowned for my teabag prowess.